Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Okay, so today we are going to be talking about anthropomorphism, which is a very hot topic. I think some of people have probably heard of it, but basically it's just when you attribute human characteristics to, in our case, an animal, also could be to like an object, but context of horses, it's obviously attributing human characteristics to the horse. And there's a lot of this happening in the horse world. And then I think within the positive reinforcement kind of circle, there's also a lot of people talking about it, pointing out that it can be very negative. Yeah, I think the most often when I see it, it's more like negative views on the animals, like, oh, they're a jerk, they're being marish, things like that, rather than like actually dissecting the behavior and figuring out what the purpose is. They're just slapping a label on it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think anthropomorphism can kind of serve probably unintentionally, almost as like a euphemism, like instead of saying like, oh, my horse has poor welfare, so they're engaging in X behavior, you can just say they're being naughty. And that kind of takes the discomfort and the blame off of you. Although, of course, like it's not something to take personally, it's just information. But I do think that, you know, anthropomorphism can kind of make people feel more comfortable about the situation if they don't have to acknowledge that, like, the horse is actually, you know, acting according to, like, the stimuli in their environment and their instincts and things like that, and not just being naughty, since horses don't have as developed of a frontal lobe as humans do, according to the current research that we have on the horse brain and everything. Yeah, for sure. I think my experience with it has mostly been when I was traditionally riding and taking lessons where the instructor would tell me to do whatever because the horse was just doing it to get away with it or to be a jerk or they're just naughty. And again, they're just not looking at the actual behavior. They're just kind of dismissing it as more of a personality trait. And again, like you said, their frontal lobes aren't developed in the way that ours are, so they can't necessarily act out in that way. Yeah, exactly. And I often see it too, even just in the way that we care for horses. Like I almost think it could even apply to like over blanketing and things like that, because we look at everything with horses from our own perspective and we think like, oh, we as the human think this. So therefore that's also how my horse will feel. And so if it's, you know, 50 degrees outside, we're like, oh, I'm a little cold. I mean, I don't know if you're cold in 50 degrees, but me from the South, I'm cold in 50 degrees. So I might put on a jacket, but that doesn't mean that my horse is cold. Really very few, if any horses should be cold in 50 degrees. You know, sometimes people just focus on how they're feeling or the idea of like the horse has to go into a stall at night. I mean, like when I was a kid, it made sense to me that horses would go in a stall at night because at night, I would want to like go into my room and get in bed and feel cozy. And so I would think, you know, maybe like the horse wants to feel cozy too. They want to go into an area and they want to just kind of have their quiet, confined space at night, just like I would. But that's actually like obviously really not accurate to what horses want. So I think, you know, a lot of anthropomorphism kind of comes out in how we manage them. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think another thing with 
care in general could be like shoeing a horse because we wear shoes. We don't really want to go out barefoot and be walking in rocks. And a lot of the time when people shoe, it's because either they're doing sports or they might just be trail riding and they're trying to avoid their horses having sensitive feet. But from what we know about hoof care, shoes can be helpful, but usually it's better to have them barefoot and they actually have pretty solid feet if they have proper nutrition and things like that so they don't actually need shoes. Yeah exactly and I think it's just definitely hard to kind of get past that mindset of like oh this is what would make sense for me to want so of course the horse would want that too especially because I think it is so normalized to just hear people saying those type of things like it just kind of becomes a part of how you think of things and sort of just like the culture in the horse world because so many people kind of speak in those ways or believe those ideas and continue to share them. So it's just really hard, I think, for people to get out of that mindset. And then also we want to think of our horses as our friends or whatever. It's maybe easier for people to connect to an animal if they feel like it's so similar to them that they can just kind of subscribe their own views onto the animal but I guess like that's where it becomes problematic because it really can take away from focusing on like the actual like ethology of horses and how they actually behave as a species and whatnot and not just what we're looking for kind of like everything in the horse world we kind of just make it about us Yeah, that's so true. I feel like my experience with both horses and dogs, a lot of the time clients are coming to me and they're like, oh, my horse, my dog, whatever is being naughty. And I'm like, okay, can you give some more information? Like I can't train out naughty because that doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Like not only is it incorrect and doesn't exist, but it gives like no actual information. Like you don't even know (laughs) what that's actually referring to. Like what is the behavior that they're describing as naughty? I mean, Like, even if you say something that horses actually can feel, like, my horse is feeling grief or whatever, I think it would be a lot more useful even there to be able to describe what behaviors the horse is actually doing, because horses can feel grief. There is a lot of science and research out there that shows that horses have really close social bonds and they can and do feel grief when another horse that was close to them dies or even moves away, things like that. So even though that is like a, you know, actual horse emotion, unlike naughtiness, um, it's still kind of, I think just, it's tough to actually describe the behaviors and not just kind of use those type of words. Yeah, definitely. And it can also be really damaging to the relationship between the animal and the person because they're not viewing the animal how they are. They're not looking for their actual personality traits. They're just looking at those bad behaviors and again, throwing some label on there. And it's not always negative. Anthropomorphism can be used in kind of helpful ways sometimes, but most often when I see it, it's just kind of dismissing the use of punishment or sometimes even just not understanding the behavior and then labeling it because of that. So yeah, I feel like it's not usually the best Yeah, I agree. And I really like that you pointed out that it's not always negative because when I was kind of like researching stuff online, I came across some information that was talking about how empathetic people can actually be kind of swayed towards anthropomorphism because they really do seek to understand the things around them. So if they don't have like the knowledge and the tools to actually understand that species, they may put a lot of effort into kind of interpreting what they're seeing according to what they know, which is their own framework. And so 
like really well-meaning empathetic people can often start you know getting into anthropomorphizing and that isn't always negative because it does at least involve some extent of them taking into account what they're perceiving the other you know animals feelings as which is better than a lot of people who just are like I don't care what my horse thinks I'm just gonna do whatever I want so at least they're they're trying and sometimes it does lead to positive outcomes but you know having the science available for people to understand horse ethology and how horses behave I think that will really help those kind of empathetic people who might start to buy into anthropomorphic ideas about horses to get more of the like actual like scientifically backed information and be able to kind of use their natural empathetic traits to actually understand the horses better. Yeah that's so true. I feel like people that do kind of innately understand emotions better even if it's not necessarily correct because they're not humans but I think it will eventually lead them to the path of figuring out horse behavior a little better and actually working to understand what their behavior means rather than just anthropomorphizing. And this is not related at all, but (laughs) I just keep thinking of like movies with animals, like cartoons, like with spirit. Why does he have eyebrows? (laughs) Because that's anthropomorphism too. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) And there's all sorts of like weird animal movies where they'll just give them like human like body shapes and stuff and I'm like oh my god why are you doing this like the cats movie that movie is like so cursed (laughs) (laughs) and like I know with dogs we've bred them to look more human like like to have more expressive facial features than wolves do because we like things to look how we do it's more interpretable And I think that just kind of furthers the point that we do use anthropomorphism a lot, even if we don't mean to, with both spirit and then dogs with eyebrows. (laughs) Yeah, that is a really good point. And that is an interesting point to bring up because I didn't really think about like the physical anthropomorphism, but it's definitely (laughs) a thing. And I mean, it makes cute cartoons, but it's also extremely weird. So I'm not really sure what to think about that. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I'll never get over spirit having eyebrows, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean a lot of the spirit movie is just like really fascinating to me too and this is gonna get really off topic but it really fascinates me like I've watched spirit a couple of times with some of the sort of traditional horse people that I've had in my life like one of my ex-roommates who I have no ill will towards but we don't really talk anymore and we watched spirit together and they are like a traditional type of horse person and the whole time they were like being like oh you know spirit shouldn't be forced to be ridden like this is so terrible or whatever and it's like you do realize like the cognitive dissonance here right you're doing like pretty much not the exact same thing but kind of you're also kind of using a horse and forcing them to do you know what you want and yet you don't like that in the movie so I just think that's really interesting about spirit so many people do like that movie too like I grew up watching that movie like endlessly it was kind of obnoxious honestly and this is embarrassing but it's fine I would put all my hair on one side of my head so I would look like a horse not really but I thought so when I was like five (laughs) and then I would turn the fan I would turn the fan on three and pretend to gallop in front of it (laughs) oh my gosh that's like major horse girl I mean, I would always, I have a little sister who's 10 years younger than me. So when I was like 12 and 13 and she was like a toddler, I would always 
put her on my back and be like, oh, you know, like ask me to trot and canter and I would like jump over stuff. (laughs) So, I mean, I feel like a lot of horse people just kind of have a weird like past experience of like playing a slightly cringy, but also was fun when they were a child, like weird horse thing. Yeah, it's fine. That's like not related at all, but I I couldn't stop thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think something interesting that I found too online to get back on track was I saw someone claiming, I'm not sure you know how true this is, but they were claiming that the concept of anthropomorphism surfaced kind of like internationally in regards to horse welfare because of the 2019 FEI European Championships in the Netherlands because there were apparently two shirtless Dutch animal rights activists and they ran onto the show jumping course and they dressed up as a human and a horse and they approached the third fence and like they had like stuff painted on their skin that said stop horse slavery and they were like doing kind of like a public protest demonstration I guess against what was happening at the 2019 FEI European Championships so I think that's really interesting because I didn't know that that happened and I find that really interesting I mean I think that is an example of anthropomorphism that you know that happened because these people are literally dressing themselves up as the horses which is obviously putting kind of the idea of like, we wouldn't do this to humans, so we shouldn't do this to a horse, which is anthropomorphism. But also, I mean, while that's extreme, I do think kind of the idea of like, we learn to treat humans with respect, why shouldn't we treat horses with respect? That can sometimes come from a place of anthropomorphism even, but it can still be a positive thing because it's causing us to, you know, want to treat other beings with respect. There just also needs to be that nuance there of like horses, aren't the same as people and they have their own specific needs and specific lifestyles. So I'm not necessarily trying to say like, I agree or disagree with these people who like went, you know, into the arena and did that demonstration. I think it's kind of a bit strange, but also just kind of interesting to think about that in the context of anthropomorphism too. Yeah, I didn't know about that. I mean, that's pretty bold, but I like the statement. (laughs) It's a little extreme for me, but I get what they're trying to say. And I think it can be helpful not to put human emotions on horses, but to think of how you would want to be treated in that situation. So kind of more using empathy rather than, I guess, trying to humanize horses. Yeah, exactly. And that also reminds me of what we've talked about before with like doing human training games kind of as a simulation or not necessarily like, you know, an exact simulation, but like a practice maybe of skills that we use with the horse. And obviously, like I've done that with Portal, as I've stated many times, and um, I've heard of other people doing it even with negative reinforcement as well. So I think you know, things like that. And just really like thinking about like, there are certain elements of respect that at least I personally really value having for like all sentient beings, even though obviously there is a difference between humans and animals. Animals still deserve like basic respect and basic care. And I feel very passionately about that. So of course, like I have these values and I think a lot of people share those values, but they also kind of get into the horse world where those values are kind of crushed down and you're kind of just led to think like, oh, it's fine. I can just do whatever I want to the horse. They don't feel pain or whatever. And so I think, you know, sometimes even that slight bit of anthropomorphism can help you connect a little bit or feel 
that empathy kind of going back to what I said before about how um, I found some research talking about how empathy oriented people can sometimes engage in anthropomorphism. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's definitely a gray area. I would agree that it's mostly negative, but I also think it's good to cover some of the sort of positive things from it too. Yeah, for sure. There are definitely positive aspects too. Like if I'm describing my animals to someone who's never met them, like I typically label Truffle a goofball. Like he's super silly and playful and really smart. And like, I guess handler oriented would be the best description. And like that gives them an idea of what I'm saying without having to unpack it and go into a lot of detail. So I think in that way, it can be helpful. But if you're describing more behavior-based things about your animal, it might be better to actually unpack the label and give them some more, I guess, descriptive ideas of what you're trying to say. Like, again, going back to the jerk example, if you call your horse a jerk, that could mean so many things. That could mean they buck under saddle and you don't like that, or they're mouthy when you do up the girth, or maybe they resource guard. There's so many things that could fall into that category, and it doesn't really give a good idea to the other person you're talking to what you're actually trying to say about them. Yeah, I completely agree. It can almost get to be like a sort of circular argument, especially when you're using the kind of negative words to describe it. Like if you are using a word like naughty, you'd be like, my horse is naughty. And they'd be like, well, how do you know your horse is naughty? And then you'd be like, well, they're engaging in naughty behaviors. And they'd be like, well, what are naughty behaviors? And then they'd be like, well, it's being naughty. And then it just kind of gets into the circle of like, what does that even mean? And I mean, that could happen with positive emotions too. But then on the other hand, like you said, kind of using it to explain to people who may not know the specific pathology of that animal species can be helpful. So they can kind of get an idea and understand it because of course it's natural for us to interpret things according to our frameworks that are what we understand and what kind of make up our society. And so Yeah, that's normal, but it's probably just something to be aware of and to try not to do in ways that are harmful to horse welfare or in ways that are just like really blatantly misunderstanding how horses behave. Yeah, for sure. And another example, too, is like animal TikTok where you see pets. Usually they're supposed to be funny, but if you know behavior, you know they're not really. But like I see a lot of people reaching towards something that the dog has and the dog attacks them and they're like wow this dog is so mean and like that's an example that is outside of your own personal life but you're still exposed to that and you're still seeing those things and again it just doesn't really give you a good example of what's really happening it's just saying the animal's bad yeah I completely agree and I think especially when instead of just like interpreting it according to our frameworks, we actually like apply our own current emotions in that situation to the animal. I think that is especially harmful a lot of the time because it is one thing to, you know, like describe an animal kind of abstractly using a word that is more like humanized and fits more into the human framework. But then I think it's also like another situation if you are say like working with your horse and they bite you or something for, you know, whatever various reason that happened and instead of looking into what that reason is you say he's mean you know in that situation you're actively using that word to cover over the actual underlying reasons behind a behavior and you're basically replacing the reality of the situation with your interpretation versus you know intentionally like knowing you're using a word that might be anthropomorphizing but you're doing it intentionally to help someone who 
maybe doesn't have the specific like animal behavior knowledge, understand what you're saying. Like it reminds me of a quote that I saw from Don Jessup, who is a natural horsemanship and performance trainer. So I don't really, um, you know, agree with his training methods, but I did really like his one quote. He said, sometimes I'll hear a student say with a great big smile on their face, my horse is having such a great time. Then I'll look at the horse and think, OMG, that horse is not having a great time. If you feel happy, don't assume your horse feels happy in that moment too. If you feel scared, don't assume your horse is scared too. If you feel angry, don't assume your horse is angry at you or trying to make you angry, which could easily lead to a fight. So I think that's like a really useful quote because it's basically talking about like, don't use your current emotions to kind of uh, like reflect onto the horse in an anthropomorphizing way and a way that kind of like overlooks what they're actually experiencing. And like he said in the quote, often leads to a fight, which kind of plays into that idea of like us versus the horse that's really prevalent in horse training and is really problematic and kind of just sad to see people feeling like it's them versus their horse. Yeah, it is really sad. And that is kind of the norm right now, unfortunately. But I never really thought about, I guess, putting your own emotions onto the horse because that's not something I've experienced a lot, but I could see how that would happen where, you know, like you said, with the the student who said they were happy and so their horse must be happy, like they're having a great time, but I don't, that's not always the case. Sometimes you might be having the best time ever and your horse might be pinning their ears and you're misinterpreting it. Like I see that a lot with positive reinforcement or intrinsic where they're following something and they look frustrated and it might be because they are, they're trying to chase the target rather than being rewarded for following it. I've done that myself with Wonder where I taught him to touch it, not to kind of follow behind it. So for quite a while, he would always look really irritated when targeting and I was having a good time because I didn't acknowledge it at the time, but he clearly wasn't. Yeah, that's so true. And I've definitely seen that too. And I think a lot of people just not noticing those type of things happen is just because there is such a poor understanding of how to read horse facial expressions and body language and all of those things in the horse world, especially the traditional horse world. And I think until we can increase that education, like, of course, people are going to you know, anthropomorphize the horses or likely even, yeah, reflect their own emotions onto the horse because they don't have the knowledge of what is actually happening. And, you know, like when the human brain doesn't have knowledge, it often fills in the gaps with like assumptions or what just makes sense in that situation. So it's not, you know, that I don't think people are intentionally trying to do something harmful to the horse, but also we should be trying to like have a basic understanding of horses if we're going to interact with horses. I don't think that's really like a high bar to say that, you know, you should put a little bit of effort into understanding horse facial expressions and body language and whatnot if you're around horses so that you will be more aware of like what the horse is actually kind of expressing and not just apply what you think. Yeah. And that's also kind of a do your own research type thing too, because with traditional training, my experience was always that, I don't know, there was just a lot of miscommunication and misinterpretations on the horse's behavior and facial expressions and things like that. So I feel like you can learn from traditional trainers and most of them probably will have some good takeaways, but also that information or I guess misinformation is just spread so quickly to anyone who ever works with them. So it can be tricky to 
kind of unlearn that. And that's a process that takes a while. It took me the longest time to unlearn a lot of the things I knew. And yeah, just doing your own research is a good thing to do or consulting a professional that clearly understands body language and horse communication. Yeah, for sure. And we have that podcast episode or like I think it was a couple of episodes that we made talking about I think we talked about like body language and calming signals or something like that but it was like episode two or something (laughs) so it's like way back there and I would say that the information is hopefully reliable because we based it off research but I also haven't listened to it in a while so I don't know but there are like resources like that and you know other people have all sorts of resources And I'm really trying not to say the title of the book that I say in every single (laughs) podcast because I just say it enough, but um, I'm sure you know what book I'm talking about. So read that book or read, you know, really any sort of resource or also just honestly, like, I feel that a lot of my knowledge of horses just came from like looking at the horse grimace scale and then scrolling through Instagram and looking at pictures of people's horses and going through the items on the horse grimace scale and being like, what items from the grimace scale apply to this horse? And the horse grimace scale is kind of new in its like, you know, use. It hasn't been around for that long, but there is a lot of good research and a lot of good things behind it that seem really reliable. And so I think it's a very reliable source and I'm sure there will be little changes and little alterations to it and expansions and whatnot once we start to be able to learn more. But I think for now, that's one of the best resources we have. So you can also like intentionally like look at photos and <laughs> think about what that facial expression says, especially if you start maybe by looking at the really extreme examples and then move towards more of like the more subtle examples after that to just kind of get an idea of what the body language looks like. Like if you want to see some extreme examples, maybe go to hashtag down under horsemanship, <laughs> just Clinton Anderson's training hashtag. You'll probably see some stressed horses there. Oh, I'm sure you could find so many. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I took a drink of coffee. So <laughs> I actually, swung, but <laughs> I finished mine, so hopefully it kicks in. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click Treat Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click Treat Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at Bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.